Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Asset Allocation Weekly Report dated August 6, 2021. There's a theory I've heard expressed from time to time that a divided government is good for financial markets because a divided government is less likely to agree on major legislative changes. And today we take a fresh look at this theory and talk about whether a divided government drives bond yields higher or lower. I'm Phil Adler and joining me is Confluence Investment Management Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady. Bill, another pretty much, I think, widely accepted idea is that financial markets are simply uncomfortable with all change, including legislative changes, because of uncertainty predicting the outcome of change. Would you say this uncertainty lies at the heart of all market action day to day? Well, it's not the only thing, but uncertainty is probably the most important item. Financial markets are unique from all other markets because it is in these markets that buyers and sellers project their expectations. So discounting the future is is the role of financial markets. So it would seem to make sense that a divided government would be an encouragement for investors because competing political interests are less likely to settle on major changes. How do you define a divided government? Well, for the purposes of this research, a divided government occurs when either house of the legislature is of a different party than that controlling the White House. In other words, if the president is from one party and either the Senate or the House is controlled by another party. I didn't examine if it made a difference how the divisions occurred. The problem with narrowing the analysis is that you can make the sample sizes so small that it might give us unreliable results. So can you say that what we're experiencing now in the United States is a unified government with Democrats holding a very shaky lead in the Senate, a slightly larger margin in the House, and of course, occupying the presidency? Yep, precisely. Now, how did you go about testing this thesis that a divided government is good for financial markets, including long bonds, which rise in value when the yield falls? Well, we define good in bonds by falling yields. Okay, and what did you discover? Well, what we did was we we created a binary variable for the composition of government for the entirety of the model sample, which runs from 1960 to the present. The government variable over that time frame was not statistically significant, and that surprised me a bit. So I shortened the time frame and found that it was strongly significant in shorter time periods. And by testing various time frames, I discovered that the market's reaction function to the composition of government had something of a hard break. And your research found that 1983 was the year of that hard break. Before 1983, it was a unified government that tended to support the bond market and push bond yields lower. And only since 1983 have we experienced the present situation with a unified government coinciding with rising bond yields and declining bond values. That's exactly what I found. In the era from 1960 to 1982, the sign of the government variable coefficient was negative, and since the unified government was designated at one, a unified government lowered long-term bond yields by almost 50 basis points. Now, as interesting, as a side note, the deficit to GDP variable also had a negative coefficient, meaning that higher deficits were bearish for bonds. Now, after 1983, the government composition coefficient changed signs. 
becoming positive, meaning that unified government lifted the fair value yield by just over 30 basis points. The impact of the deficit was still statistically significant, but the influence was much less. Now, why the change around 1983? I suspect what happened was that the World War II generation had a favorable view of government. Now, think about it. That cohort saw the government pull the U.S. out of the Great Depression, win World War II, put a man on the moon, and at least for a while, end the business cycle reflected in the long 1960s expansion. So there was generally high regard for government. So unified government was one that could get legislation accomplished more easily and was seen as positive. Now, the 1970s undermined that positive view of government. We had the loss of the Vietnam War, the inflation issues of the 1970s, gas lines, the Iranian hostage crisis, all undermined the view of government. And so when Reagan came along and argued that government was the problem, he found a receptive audience. And so after 1982, the relationship changed. A government that was limited due to partisan divisions was seen as one less likely to meddle. Now, Bill, during your investigation, you also found that federal deficits were bearish for bonds before 1983, but since 1983, deficits have been at least modestly bullish for bonds and have led to lower yields. How do you explain this? Well, that was a surprising development. There could be a number of reasons, but the one that probably makes the most sense was that in the early period, deficits increased the risk that the economy would overheat. Now, keep in mind, by the early 1980s, the world had shifted to a treasury dollar foreign reserve system from a gold dollar foreign reserve system. Thus, treasuries were needed by foreign nations for reserve purposes, and so deficits could be funded by money from abroad. In addition, investors may have had more confidence in policymakers to keep inflation low, so deficits just don't worry them as much. I'm not sure I've seen this type of analysis undertaken by an investment firm. Maybe I'm just not aware of any studies like this. How common are they? Well, I'm sure most strategists have some way of modeling long-term interest rates. Using long-term averages as an inflation proxy isn't all that common. But the real value of these studies is the signals you get when actual rates deviate from fair value. Based on the particular circumstance, it can give you resolve to fade the trend in the market. Well, maybe it's a strange question to ask, but how confident are you in in your process that your statistical research has led to accurate results? Well, it's a really good question. Generally speaking, you look for a degree of soundness to the model. Questions like, do the coefficients have signs that are consistent with theory? Is the time frame studied relevant time frame? Regression models are notoriously sensitive to the time frame chosen, and you have to be careful not to cherry pick just to merely fit a bias. I once worked for an analyst who would say something to the effect of, I know the answer, now go prove I'm right. The whole purpose of the scientific method is to overcome the natural biases we all carry. At the same time, I always treat models as suspect. There's always data that may not be in the model. In fact, the classic construction of regression modeling, the error term called the epsilon, is where all the variables you didn't specifically put in the model are said to be contained. You want a certain degree of randomness in the error model or the deviations, we call it. At the same time, you always have to acknowledge that in that error term, a variable that you haven't identified lurks to turn your results into mush. By design, science never proves much of anything. It's nothing more than a method of inquiry. 
when we say science proves something, what we are really saying is that as a group, we think the statement's probably right. But that's really all you get. When one says, I believe in science, it's much like saying, I believe in recipes. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Hmm. Well, let's bring all this to the present so, so we can anticipate the future. What do you expect for bond yields if the Democrats lose one of the houses of Congress in 2022? Would your outlook for bonds materially change? Well, if nothing else changes, it would. Now, if the market is reasonably efficient, it would probably anticipate this outcome. And so in the months prior to the election, yields would likely decline. And so you could go from a situation where the model suggested yields were too high to going toward fair value after the election. And what if the Democrats hold on to control in in both houses or even grow their margins? Well, again, it depends on what we were expecting going in. But given that is our current situation, not a whole lot should change. And if the Republicans win control of both houses of Congress, would your prediction on the bond market be the same? Well, it would. Uh, I only looked at divided government. The degree was not taken into account. And, Bill, on the subject of deficits, if we get a major infrastructure package, I would assume the federal deficit might increase at least short term. And I'm assuming that, according to your research, this might be at least modestly bullish for bonds and encourage lower yields? Actually, I would not agree with that federal deficit expectation. Keep in mind that the spending that's being proposed is over an 8 to 10 year period, but any revenue enhancements occur immediately. I expect the impact on the deficit from this legislation to be actually pretty trivial. Finally, as we close, could you reiterate your present outlook on the long bond? Well, we think bond yields have overreacted to fears of weaker future growth and a policy mistake. The odds of rising yields in the coming months are elevated in our opinion. Thank you, Bill. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Appett.